Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking about relationships in this particular series that last a lifetime. Relationships are defined by me as a multifaceted connection between people of all ages and all places for all of life. All of you will have what I'm going to be talking about. Uh, you can have good, bad, indifferent, deep, shallow, uh, a strange, strange, or committed to, or all kinds of relationships in your life. You're going to experience relationships for the rest of your life that bring fulfillment. Hopefully, your relationships will bring fulfillment and enhance your destiny. People that God connects you with actually help you with your destiny in life. And you don't know who those people are when you first start, but as God begins to add them to your life, they become a huge piece of your life, helping us live a full and satisfying life. In our first message, we talked about uh, starting right out of Matthew chapter 22, and we uh, read this verse, which is, uh, this is one translation. This verse actually will give me uh, the first three messages of the series as I start with what I consider to be the expert on relationship, Jesus. The person who would know exactly how I should relate would be Jesus. The Bible would be my guidebook because that's the book I would follow as being divinely inspired, the wisdom of God. The principles in the Word of God would be more than just a man's thought. They're the principles of the Word of God. And so when I listen to Jesus and I read the Scripture, I have a twofold witness. I have the life of Jesus, and I also have the words of Jesus, and I have the words of the Scripture. I put them together, and I can come up with a very good package on following what it means to be a good relator in life and how to build relationships. In Matthew 22, he says, love the Lord your God with all your passion, your prayer, your intelligence. This is the most important first on anybody's list. It should be. And the second is what? Alongside of it, love others as you also love yourself. And so in this passage, as we have already laid some foundation, Jesus says, and I would read into this and then prove it later and talk around it. But I think Jesus says very clearly, your relationship to God really forms all other relationships in life because you were created in the image of God. There's a God peace that's supposed to be developed in your life. And your relationship to God is the same relationship you will have with other people. And if it's good this way, it'll be good this way. If the vertical has a problem, the horizontal might have a problem. And so Jesus says, you first must learn how to relate to God. You must love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. Why? Because in that relationship, you learn how to receive the love of God and how to give back your love to God. In that relationship, you learn things like mercy and forgiveness and hope, second chance, acceptance, encouragement. God is the best. So when you accept God and come to God as your father God, you begin to experience wholeness of soul and spirit and emotions and mind and life because there's no one like God. And God gets you to start opening up so that you actually bring the real you to the throne. You actually bring the real you to God himself. You actually begin to open up in your conversation. That's why prayer is so important. It says, pour your heart out to God. That's why prayer is so important to be honest with God. That's why prayer is so important that you learn how to communicate about your flaws or about your hopes or about your fears, about yourself. And so as you open up your life to God, something begins to happen. You start receiving healing and you receive encouragement. You start receiving the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the hope of God. You start absorbing that into your life and you get healed and you start becoming a whole person. And pretty soon it's easy for you to talk to God about everything about your life, past and the present, and even your fears about the future. And you start relating to God as a, a father in your life, as a person who's actually intimately involved in your life, then it's real easy to move that relationship over here and begin to relate to people the same way. 
so that you begin to relate to people with a sense of communication and forgiveness and hope. And you begin to share your life with people. You're used to opening up your heart to God. And so now you can open up your heart to people. It's one and the same, and you learn how to share your passions, and you learn how to communicate even your faults and your failures, and you begin to develop a relationship better with people. A whole person does better at relationships than a sick person. A holistic person will do better at relationships than a broken person or a person who won't get healed on something or won't let go of something. And so your relationship to the Father, when you start with Father God, has so much to do with how you love the Lord, how you love people. And then, how you love yourself. Because it's a fact that if you do not learn how to love yourself, you are greatly hindered to love anyone your whole life properly. Because proper love starts with you. And if there's nothing in your core, in your center, to come forth with love for other people because you can't even find wholeness for yourself or love for yourself, you will have a horrible time loving someone else. There's three views in this verse. One would be God's view of you, which is accurate, 100%. God doesn't miss anything about any of us. God knows me. He knows everything about me. God knows my intimate side. No one else would know me like God. God knows me better than any living human being because God created me, but he also relates to me on a whole different basis than anyone else in this life. God knows me totally and perfectly. And then there's others. Others don't know me perfectly. They're inaccurate. They might think they know me, but they don't know me. They might think they interpret me, but they don't interpret me right every time. They might think that I'm doing this or reacting or showing, but they don't see what's behind it or what's come before. They have no view of my total life. They don't know me totally, and their interpretation of me will always be inaccurate. Never 100%. Not even your best friend, not even your spouse. It will not be 100% right. God's the only one that has that. But others have a view of me, fortunately, unfortunately, will begin to shape how I see myself. And if they have an inaccurate view of me, I can begin to become a person that is inaccurate in God's view of me or even my view of myself because they see me in such a different way and they begin to say things and treat me and for me that I actually begin to become a person that's unlike me. Now I have confusion. Now there's a problem because there's something going on that is not healthy. Then, of course, there's your view of yourself, which is inaccurate, by the way. You do not know yourself 100% accurate. Only God does. Your view is through the grids of your fallen man, your new man, your life, your past, your future, your weaknesses, your successes, and you put it all together. You try to build a grid to look at yourself. But sometimes when we build that grid and we look at ourselves, we come up with the wrong view of ourselves. And we can bear guilt and shame And we can let flaws and failures gear our life and and thrust us into things we would never do or feel because we see ourselves wrongfully. We see ourselves in a limited view. Your view of yourself is not totally accurate. The only view is God's and the Word of God. Most of us struggle to line up with that because we have built into us some fallen flaws. And so we let people shape us. We shape ourselves sometimes. Both of these have at least a percentage of inaccuracy. And we don't spend enough time getting the the pure accurate view. And then align our life and align everything to that. And so we're a mixture of how to love God, others, and ourselves because we're still finding ourselves many times. The right plan is for God, me, and others to have a center called love that I can love God purely and simply. I can love myself biblically and right, which we'll talk about. 
and I will learn how to love others in the same way that I love God. I have wholeness in myself and I can love other people in such a way that will bring wholeness to their life. A great gap between how we love God and how we love ourselves and how we love people. In our generation and generations in the past, we're a little bit confused about God himself. We don't understand God love, God grace. We don't understand exactly how God sees us and feels about us. So someone has to come along and tell us, you know how God feels about you. But we can hardly take it because we know how we feel about ourselves. We know how limited we are about our own grace. Sometimes we can play hardball with ourselves like no one else can play. We will bear our own shame and guilt and failure and flaws inside, knowing that God does not really accept everything about us and that we have certain things we have to change, which is true. But God loves you the way you are and loves you too much to leave you that way. But he loves you exactly where you are totally at every phase of life. There's no phase in life where God says, I love you, I love you more now. Do this, do, okay, I love you just a little bit more now, Frank, because you've earned it. And in it, you know what? I really am beginning to love you now, Frank, because really you are doing, well, how much do I have to do for God to say, you're there and I love you the way you are. In the kingdom of God and the nature of God, there is no hoop to jump through. There's no levels that you have to go through. There's nothing you have to do to get God to love you more than you are being loved right now than you will be loved in eternity. God loves you totally, supernaturally, unconditionally, right where you are right now. And you can't add and you can't take because you can't change God. You might change me, but you can't change God. He just says, I love you. He says, matter of fact, Frank, when you were in sin, I came after you. That's what the Bible says. Matter of fact, when you were in rebellion against me, I loved you. When there was nothing in you for me to go after, I loved you. Why? His love is different. Our human love has all kinds of factors. And so we want people to do something so that we love them. So what happens is that people learn how to find our acceptance by doing what we want for us to show them the love. And so they become a different person around me because they know the standard or the way to push my button. And so I love them if they do these things. And so they do these things even though they're not those things. They fake those things because they know that I have a fake love for them and it's not very deep. It's a shallow love. And so now we become shallow to shallow, fake to fake. It equals nothing. It's not true relationship. It's not built on real love. It's not built on the kind of acceptance that God has for you. But people begin to understand, especially children. If they're not loved unconditionally, they'll get your number real fast. And they'll begin to do exactly what you reward them for, or what you pat them on the head for, or what you cheer them on, well, that's what I really am after. And then they know that they better only show you that side of them. Because that's the only side you ever reward. That's the only side you ever say, and I really love it when you do that. So they show you a half side. They don't bring you the flaw, the temptation, the failure, the thing they're really going through, the boyfriend that broke their heart, because they're not even supposed to have a boyfriend. So how are they going to talk to you about a boyfriend if they know that you would be adamantly opposed to everything they're doing in that relationship? They're never going to tell you anything. They're just going to say, oh no, that's just one of my friends who broke my heart. <laughs> there has to come a time where relationships are built on not what you do, but who you are. From husband to wife, from parent to child. 
friend to friend. You have friendships built on as long as they please you, do what you want, go where you want, vacation where you want, say what you want. As soon as they cross the line, do something funny, you're done with that friendship, you're on to someone else. You have a brokenness inside of you that doesn't allow you to keep friends. Because your idea of friendship and your idea of love, your ideal of choosing that person to be close to you is based on what you want. And if they disappoint you, all hell will break loose in that relationship because they disappointed you. So they back off. You have to have a right relationship to yourself. It starts with a personal decision to anchor your life in God. That's for sure for me. That's so big. And then you need to learn how to love yourself. The way that God wants you to love. There's only one you in the whole universe. Think about it. You are the only you in the whole universe. There's no one like you. And God loves you. You're supposed to love yourself. But there's reasons why we struggle with that. And I'm going to tell you theologically in a very simple way what you're not supposed to love and what you are supposed to love. You don't think I'm preaching some kind of heresy, some kind of secularism or humanism or some kind of a pop culture psychology here. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about learning how to love yourself biblically and approving of yourself in a biblical context on exactly how you should love yourself. We have a problem. Sometimes balancing that in our lives. Dr. Zeus, the children's books, he says, today, you are you. That is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, youer than you. There's no one youer than you. There's nobody alive that's youer than you. Sabrina Harrison in her book says this. I think this is very insightful. I'm afraid to show you who I really am. Because if I show you who I really am, you might not like it. And that's all I got to show you. You know, I would open up and show you who I really am, and then you might demand more, but there ain't more. This is all I got. If you're expecting something deeper, broader, prettier, whatever, I'm afraid to show you exactly what I think might be a shallow self or some kind of an unfriendly self or some kind of a flawed self or something you might not even like. And then you might say to me, can you show me a little bit more because there must be more to you than this. And if I don't have anything more to show you, then I would be rejected. Therefore, I won't show you anything. Why? Because rejection is more than the human soul can take. It's more than life can bear. It's more than people will not chance. If they feel there's any chance of rejection, they will not reveal themselves. They will not expose their life. They will not open up who they really are. Because rejection hurts so deeply, you can carry it for years. When you counsel with people, I'm amazed. When I used to do a lot of counseling, which I don't now because of, you know, just the nature of the beast of what we have. But when I was doing a lot of counseling, I was amazed how many people would bring up their childhood. And they could remember stories when they were five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. And they could tell you in, in, in amazing details about what happened at the schoolyard or the playground or in the classroom or a teacher or a coach or a friend where they were so hurt, rejected, and put out of their friendships and were where, where kids can be so mean because they just don't know the depth of their words and the depth of their emotion. And, and so, you know, in those days, everybody wants to be the best friend with only the best friends they want to have and everyone else is rejected. If you didn't get into that group, you could be rejected. And then if there was something wrong with you, like your physical appearance didn't fit or there was some flaw in you, in you. you had a, a crooked teeth or bad complexion or you were too thin or too heavy or too tall or too short or there was something the kids would, would poke fun at and say things to you 
and, and reject you and beat on you. And then maybe a parent said something like, you should go on a diet or you should eat more. You look anorexious or, you know, why don't you ever do sports? All you do is just hang out with your school books all the time. Even though you get aged, why don't you do something with your... And so a parent can inadvertently throw something into that machine that causes that child and later on that teenager and later on that adult to totally withdraw and begin to form an opinion. I'm not very valuable. I'm not really worth a lot. If you really get to know me, you won't like me. I don't have a lot of talent. There's nothing about me that would really push your button and say, wow, I'm not a wild person. Therefore, I'm just going to kind of stay on my own because I'm not very much of a wild person. I'm not very much of a talent or skilled or good looking or some kind of a dashing, wonderful person. And so I'm just going to kind of go off on my own for the rest of their life. They can live with a false view of their worth, their esteem, You know, it's proven, and, and I, I think I would believe this and see this, that if a teenager doesn't find satisfaction in themselves, they look for it somewhere else. If they can't find love and acceptance from a parent or church or leader or the best friend, they'll find acceptance in a group. They'll find acceptance in a sexual relationship. They have no love for the person, but the person gives them some acceptance and esteem. And so they are sucked into a a relationship that will damage them, maybe physically, definitely, emotionally, and spiritually. But they have no idea of the depth of their need because they're trying to uh, meet it in different ways. So they end up breaking their life piece after piece. You finally sit down with that person and say, why do you do this to yourself? Well, because I, I'm, I'm just, I'm empty. What do you mean you're empty? You're a beautiful person. You, I'm not a beautiful person. You are a beautiful person. You're beautiful in every way. Why did you, th- why do you think that? Well, because I've done so many things and once you do one thing wrong, then it's easy to do the second and then pretty soon your whole lack of worth is wrapped up in all this garbage and baggage. And so you've concluded... I'm not worth much. I'm not worth loving like that. So someone comes along and says, can, can you love me the way I need to be loved? You won't be able to do it. Out of your brokenness, you'll die for them, you'll hurt for them, but you won't be able to heal them with your love because you're so broken up yourself. It is an amazing, wonderful, awesome, gracious experience when a person just learns to love God, love themselves, and love other people. The most basic. But in between that little diagram is a lot of life. And that life peace is what I want you to get right no matter what age you are, no matter what you're going through. If no one else can convince you, I want to convince you. You are valuable. You are loved. You are esteemed. You're worth loving. No matter what you have tried to do to fill your love bucket, there's someone else who can heal that where you don't have to run after every little affirmation of self. Every little thing, just to get someone to say one good thing to you. You just do so many things for that one good thing because there's something in you that is so drawn after, they're starving for that. It's because it's got to be fixed in you first. No one else will have enough to pour into your bucket. You'll be like an empty well. And I can tell you every 10 minutes, I love you. You're valuable. You're wonderful. It just goes right through and you can get frustrated with people and say, look at I'm telling you that you're loved. I'm doing everything I can to love you. What is with you? It's, it's not that they're mad at you, and it's not that they don't know you love them. They don't love themselves. 
And when that's not in there, it's an empty well. So Jesus comes along and says, listen, love God. But don't you forget yourself. How do I love myself? Scripture says in Proverbs 19, whoever gets sense, and this is what we're preaching, get good sense, good wisdom, discernment, loves his own soul. Understanding will discover good. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship. That Greek word is actually his poema, his poem, his tapestry. We're the creative artwork of God. You are the creative artwork of God. You're the poem he's writing. You are the picture he's drawing. You're the tapestry with all the use, loose threads here and there behind it. Nobody can see, but he's putting together so that the look of that picture is just so awesome. You're the piece of work. You are his workmanship. He will never give up on you. Well, what's the right attitude? The right attitude that we're after in this message is people's attitude toward themselves has a profound influence on their attitude toward God, family, friends, life, and future. Think about it. It has a profound influence on how you live life, how you will go after future, how you will establish a home. If anybody ever told you you'll be a crummy parent, they lied to you. That's not true. Anybody ever said you'd be a crummy wife, a crummy husband? It's a lie. Anyone ever say to you, you're the worst friend ever? That's a lie. You don't have to be a crummy parent or crummy friend or the worst of anything. You are a workmanship. You have the grace of God. You're created in God's image. You have an awesome future. And if you will begin to believe what the scripture says about you, you will change your entire life. And the greatest thing that will happen is you will find love for who God is making in you and dish that out to other people. I'm not talking about loving your sinful self. Let's make sure you understand. A right relationship to your sinful self. The flesh in the Bible, especially New Testament, not, you know, in the in Old Testament where it just talks about body, skin, and flesh. People die. That's real flesh. It's body. But in the New Testament, it talks about uh, crucifying the flesh. It's not talking about skin. It's not talking about you know, go cut off a hand or a finger like it says, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If you cut off your hand, it has nothing to do with what's offending you. It's something in your character. And so people obviously should never do that, but some people actually have. The sinful flesh you have and I have is a sinful nature. It's the fallen nature. It's the endemic nature. It's the nature I was born with and you were born with. You can't get around it. It doesn't matter who you are. Every person who takes a breath and enters this world... It's born in sin and shaped in iniquity and they inherit, they are born with a sinful, fallen nature. You don't have to send them to a seminar on selfishness. It's in them. You don't have to send them to a seminar on stealing, lying, cheating, or getting their own way, or uh, carnalities of any kind. It's in them. You have to try to stomp those things out. You have to try to spank it out of the child and discipline not to treat their friends like that. And don't exaggerate and don't lie and, and don't steal all the pencils from the kids in the class and don't do things that, that are wrong. Why? Because they are bent to that. If they're five years old, they know how to try to get their way and wrap you around their little finger and fake a cry and and throw a tantrum at the marketplace and say, buy me that, no. And they throw a tantrum. You have to beat that child. Don't say that. (laughs) You don't do it there. You take them away. And you speak with them. Whatever it takes, you get their attention and say, that's wrong. And you will not through your selfish, manipulative way, get me to be embarrassed. If they get you to do it once, they'll do it every time you go to the market. You'll hate even taking them outside. You'd rather take the dog for a walk than take the kid to the market. Because you're afraid they're going to fall down anytime. Buy me this. 
You've seen it, I've seen it. You, you roll by and you just say, I'll help you. That kid needs some instruction. Some instruction. Why? Because it's the flesh nature. All right. The self that we deny. Self-work, self-bondage, self-will, self-degrading, self-hate, self-pride, self-love. We deny every one of these. We do not accept these. We do not praise these. We do not put them in ourselves and then say, this is me and I'm not changing. That is wrong. There's a part of you that should not be treated lightly. It's your fallen nature. Self-works is you always trying to feel like you got to work yourself into a place in order to get. Self-works is wrong. It won't buy you anything. It'll, it'll thwart your personality. It'll turn you into a schizophrenic. It'll turn you into a person that acts one way and does another thing. And you play games with everybody trying to just work yourself into a relationship to make sure that you can get what you want from them. Self-works is wrong. Self-bondage, self-will, self-degrading, self-hate, for people to hate their body, to hate themselves, to, to our, our pride to have such a, a stinking pride about what they think they're so great about. Any of those, you don't love those self-love so much that you put everybody else out and you just love yourself. All of those are wrong. What you do is you must relate to the new self, your new self, all right? The new self that you have is a new self that is redeemed, renews the mind, has relationship with God, at peace with God, and accepts God's working in your life. Now, that's the new you. The new you has a new center. If you don't have a new center, there's no new you. But if you have a new center, there's a new you. And when you have a new center, a new core, something to hang all the character on, it's called Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's that nature that's in you that you have now brought in through faith by a prayer in the Holy Spirit and something's been born in you. And that nature is the nature of Christ. And that nature has within it the power and the potential of becoming like Jesus. And so it's a new you, it's a new core. And in that new nature, that new core, it's a new dream, a new mind, a new, a new idea of who you are, what you can be. Thank God, no matter what you were in the past, when you become a new creature in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, all things become new. You have a new hope. It doesn't matter if you were the angry drunkard or, or if you were uh, the, the person who uh, did whatever. We can list all kinds of things back here. Or a person that was broken in so many areas. Whatever you were, when you come into Jesus... You now have a new core that says you can now become a brand new person. You don't have to hate. You don't have to retaliate. You do not have to do what you did before because now you have an anchor in your soul. It's Christ and Christ can begin to grow in you. Now, if you feed the old self, even though you have Jesus in your life, if you feed the old self, the old anger, the old resentment, the old bitterness, the old manipulative self, the old selfish self, the old stubborn self, the old whatever self, that old man, that old self, that old fallen nature in you that can be very strong. If you feed that nature, it will become strong and your new nature will be beaten down to be some kind of a weak little nature inside of you that can't find its way out because this nature is being fed all the time. So even though you're born again, you don't change. You're going to heaven, but you're still mean. <laughs> you're going to heaven, but you still have the same lion tongue you had before you found Jesus. Or the same manipulative ways, or, or the same whatever. There has to come a time where you change and you start building up the new man, the new self, that part of you that Jesus put in you, that you can become. That's the part you love, you accept. You declare, you recognize, you memorize scripture. You put prayer on yourself. You get a vision of what you can be. I can be merciful. I can be kind. I can be joyful. I can be at peace. I can be an encourager. I can be a great parent because I'm loving Jesus and loving myself. And I can let go of all this excess baggage I used to have. Why? Because I can see what I'm becoming in God. When that happens, all of life changes. It changes. All right, now, 
What is the right relationship with the new you? Here's five little things every person can do. To love you, not the old, but the new. First, number one, accept the uniqueness of who you are. Accept the uniqueness of who you are as a person. Our self-image of awareness of our own identity is greatly influenced by the values other people place on us. By the values people place on our appearance, our abilities, our environment, our past, our family tree. People place certain values on us according to what they see. You must be very careful that your image is not built by the values other people put on you, that your image is built by the value that God puts on you, which bypasses some of the things that people hold up so highly. The right image that we relate to is Psalms 139, verses 13 through 16. For you form my inward part. Now listen carefully. Psalms 139, 13. You form my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written. Amazing. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Simply saying, as a human being, God wrote about you in his book, every part of you, your frame, your family tree, where you would be born, how you would be born. You might not like that look back and say, how could God? God knew it and God wrote it. God knew what you would look like. And God destined you more or less to look the way you look. I mean, there's things you can change. I mean, you can exercise more. You can dye your hair. You can, you know, get different color eyes if you want. You know, not eyes, but, you know, the things you put on your eyes. Contacts. Thank you, Walter. And so you can change whatever. I mean, you can change kind of a few things. But the ultimate frame of your body is fashioned by God. You might want to play NBA basketball, but if you're destined to be four foot nine, <laughs> there might be a miracle of one or two out there, but most of those guys are huge. They were built with a frame. God himself says, I want to watch NBA, so I'm going to build some people like this. <laughs> Why else would he build them? Where do you find these monsters? <laughs> Unbelievable. Six foot ten guards bringing the ball down there. Six ten. If you stand next to someone six ten, you can't believe they're just a guard at the NBA. Anyway, God knows <laughs> your frame. He built you a certain way and you are very unique. Now, Listen carefully under this point right here, accepting the uniqueness of who you are. To love yourself means to accept yourself. Not just secular pop psychology, but biblically. Finding a place where you accept yourself. Not the 17-year magazine, 17-year-old magazine about 17-year-olds, you know, all about the pretty girls and the pretty guys and everything that looks cool. And, and these teenagers drink all this in and all the... Uh, the films and the music groups and the makeup world and the hair world and they, they present always these kind of looking people so everybody wants to be like those people and so uh, a girl that cannot look like that what in the world does she do? Well, she becomes anorexious. She begins to not eat food. You say, well, hon, why, why don't you eat more food? Well, I don't know, Dad. I'm just not that hungry. You're always hungry. What are you talking about? Then you start noticing you're a lot thinner than I can ever remember you being. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine, Dad. 
I don't know if you're fine. They get thinner and thinner. And they get happier and happier in their account and say, I really like the way I look. Why? Because they have an image of someone that they want to be like, that they're not built to be like, they're not supposed to be like, but in their mind, that's the only people the world loves. Is that kind of person right there. And so I'll do everything I can, whatever it takes to become that person. So it is with guys and girls, and we can go right through all of life. To accept yourself as you are, come to terms, come to terms with those aspects of yourself that you can't change. I can't change my nationality. I might get a passport from another country. It doesn't change who I am. I might. Some people don't like their nationality, so they'll do something with their hair, something with their makeup. They'll, they'll, some, it's funny, the people that are light-skinned go to the tanning booth to get dark skin. The people that are dark-skinned buy makeup to get light skin. The people with curly hair get straightened. The people with straight hair get curled. And it seems like if they could just somehow get together, we'd put a lot of people out of business. <laughs> if we could ever just accept who we are and some of the aspects of ourselves. When I first met my wife, and I know she was listening to me, probably at one of the campuses, wherever she's at. No, I, I won't take a chance there. <laughs> I, I value my life. Now, now, you and I both know this, and it's good we can laugh about it, but physical features can be a cause of low self-esteem. I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, I'm too tall, I'm too short, I'm too... What do you do if you can't accept the way you are? People may have esteem problems due to what they perceive as unattractive features. When I first met Johnny Erickson at a book writing thing, this is some years back, She's crippled, paraplegic, in a wheelchair. Beautiful girl. But her body is wasted. I was so mesmerized by this woman's spirit that I could not take my eyes off of her. In my mind, she's the most beautiful person I've ever seen. In my mind, at that moment... I had more respect for her than any other human being I've been around because it was not her physical body that gave you the aura of who she was. It was the person inside of her. And so her physical attractiveness, and she went through, and she's written about this, is something she had to give up to develop something else inside of her called the core being, the character, the real you that makes it attractive to people. From our viewpoint, if we don't have a perfect physical whatever, by the way, is there anybody on the campuses today that would have one thing that if you could change about yourself and your physical frame, you would do it? Can I see your hands? Okay, I just want you to know, it'll never happen. Most of the time, you can't change that. You've got to accept it. But the fact is, physical characteristics may make an initial impression. Listen, initial impression because we judge by the hour. Remember what the Bible says? God himself, the Bible says, and I think it's a very important verse when it came to David, him choosing a king. The Bible says about God, man looks on the outward, but I look on the heart's. We judge by the external, but God judges by the hidden. Have you ever met someone that was really attractive and you were drawn to their physical strength or beauty or whatever charisma only to find out that inside they were a selfish, gossiping, crummy person? And you were taken with this and then as you got to know them, you couldn't get out of the friendship faster. <laughs> that person's a witch. They're a pretty witch, but they're a witch. 
that guy's a hunk, but he's a jerk of a hunk. And so you begin to put two and two together, hopefully at a young age, that it's not the appearance that makes a person beautiful. It's what's inside of them. So it doesn't really matter what your physical appearance. My own particular theology would say that in the resurrection, when your body is resurrected and you go to heaven, I think God will let you have any body you want to make. If it'll make you happy and say, I want to look like him. God, go ahead, have a body. Try it for a thousand years, you don't like to trade it in. (laughs) I don't think God will give a rip about it. It's to you. Have you noticed sometimes that, that some people who are not the most attractive, not the most talented, not the first choice, have tons of friends? They know how to love, how to have mercy, how to forgive, how to draw people in, how to serve other people. Everybody wants to be around them. When it's their birthday party, Dozens of kids are breaking the door down to get there. And Mr. Popular can't get hardly anybody to come. Why people are drawn to what's in you, not what's on you. That's why we have a thing called dating and courting and get to know a person. Don't marry pretty too fast because you might be disappointed. Sometimes what is actually not as pretty but has more character, lasts longer, and turns out better. Sometimes you marry Mr. Good-looking, and then you end up thinking, why did I marry this guy? He starts looking uglier, even though he's good-looking. Because you married what was physical without learning who the person was. I can't tell you how many people I've had say to me, after we start marriage counseling, I wish I would have known this before we got married. Duh. We tried to help you, but you said, oh, no, 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 no. She's not like that. Have you talked to her mother? Yes, but her mother's kind of, you know, dingy. Well, fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. Um, there might be a connection here. Okay. Number two, invest in yourself. Invest in your own uniqueness as you accept yourself and praise God for who you are. Look in the mirror and say, God, thank you for making me the way I am. And I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to deal with what I have. And if this is as good looking as I'm going to get, then I'm going to do whatever I can to just be acceptable to the human eye. But I'm going to develop the rest of me so much more than just trying to worry about the color of my hair or how big the earrings will be or what about the ring. We spend billions of dollars just getting rid of wrinkles. Just go to the mirror and say, I praise you, wrinkle in Jesus' name. Well, that might be going a little too far, but <laughs> invest in your own personal growth and your own personal work. Number three, please reject condemnation. Reject condemnation. The little voice in you that puts you down begins to compare you with other people. Bad thoughts about yourself or bad thoughts about God because God made you. You have bad thoughts about yourself as bad thoughts about the Holy Spirit in the Bible because the Bible says something different than your bad thoughts. So you have to discipline yourself. I know there's secular books that will go into this and I'm not pushing that button, but self-talk is not bad. Paul did it. I'm more than a conqueror in Christ. Hallelujah. I'm, a, I'm an heir of the throne. I, I have possessions. I'm a treasure of Jesus. I've never been forsaken. Paul talked to himself. I think it's good for people to have a little self-talk and actually get up and say, I am a winner. Your wife said, what'd you say? (laughs) I am a winner. If you're single, you look in the mirror and say, whoever finds me to marry me is one lucky individual. Because I am a treasure. I am a possession that they're going to want to have. They might not know it yet, but I'm the best thing that will ever happen to their life. Whoever hires me, hires the best. What a privilege they will have to hire me. They'll want to give me raises. I'll have to stop them from giving me so many raises because they will love me so much. Not wrong. 
for you to look yourself in the eye and say, I'm the work of God. I'm created in the image of God. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm a great person in motion. Whatever God is doing with me is going to be good. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Something is good going on in my life right now, and it's going to become gooder and gooder and gooder, and I am confessing, I'm believing for great days to come. Lord, thank you for creating me. Thank you for the way I look. I can make this the best life I've ever lived. If you will start talking to yourself, the Holy Spirit will come along and say, I'm in. Let's work on it. I'll help you. Come on, let's have some fun here. Let's enjoy some life. Let's have a little bit of peace about ourselves. Let's enjoy one another. Let's enjoy God. Let's quit griping about the wrong thing and start praising God for the right thing. Come on, church, shout a big hallelujah. We need to get on with this. Ain't no one else can do it. Number four. And number five. Thank you. Believe God believes in you. Turn to your neighbor and say, God believes in you. And biblically approve yourself. That is, look yourself in the eye, like I've been saying, get some scriptures, begin to quote them back to God. Your hands on me. I've been chosen. I was elected. God's grace is in my life. I have a future. I have a destiny. God is doing something in me. I'm approving what God is doing. You know what? You might think I'm being a little funny with you, and I am, because that's, that's the personality God gave me. I tried to lock it down. God says, unlock it. And so I just have to be who I am. I get you to laugh so that when I hit you in the teeth, I don't split your lip. And so I, I like to get you to laugh about yourself and about life, and laugh at the devil and all of his deceiving ways. Life is too short to be grieved for the wrong things. It's too short to be thinking about all the negative things. Come on, you got a life to live. you got a great life. You have so much going for you. You just need to wake up and just say, God, I have been in a stupor. I've been under some kind of a cloud, but I am coming out of it in Jesus' name. And I believe this is my day to live a full and abundant life. And you'll watch things begin to change around you. Love life, and life loves you. Love people, and people love you. Love your job, and your job starts looking different on Monday morning. Wow, I can't believe this job is so different. It's you. It's you. 